And finally, the gospel reading, a parable of Jesus, Matthew 21. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he set other servants, more than the first. They did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, They feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by his prophets. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Well, I wanted to start by saying grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um. This is an interesting parable. Um, I'm not sure if it's as intense as last week's parable about the wedding feast, um, but it is intense regardless. Uh, But what I think is cool is Jesus interprets uh, the parable and he allows the people to uh, ask him questions and he answers them. And even Isaiah gives interpretation of his Old Testament prophecy uh, when he speaks of it. Um, I I wanted to start by saying that the the world of the scriptures, the same world that we live in, it's it's chock full of agrarian imagery. So farming, planting, uh, fruits, wheat, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, Actually, you know, Jesus teaches a lot by talking about like manure and piles of manure and that kind of thing. Um, uh, It was definitely what the people of the earth could understand. And I think that we even today, you know, thanks be to God that he used these agrarian images, these farming images, because I think even we today get them uh, because they're so simple. 
Uh, even if, you know, these days we maybe think tomatoes come from a tomato factory or, you know, meat comes from a meat factory. And, you know, there's like a weird correlation like, is the chicken I'm eating the same chicken that is like laying eggs and walking around and flapping its wings? I don't know. Well, uh, so God, he describes his kingdom, both in the Old and the New Testament, as um, a vineyard or a beautiful garden on a hill. And remember, he chose a specific people, Israel, to be his special people. And of course, now, you know, there's no reason to, you know, keep it a secret, you're... Israel now, his beloved church. But it's just so interesting to think about how he chose specific people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, and then he led them through the wilderness, through the desert, through all sorts of trials, through repentance and cycles of, you know, they hated him and uh, then they were sorry and then they hated him and then they were sorry and they did it all the way into the promised land. And what we're reading about tonight, what we heard about tonight, is that promised land. What he promised, the perfect place for his people, Jerusalem. Uh, Some people call it Zion. And it's where Jesus promised to be and live with his people. First in a temple, then in Jesus Christ. And now in you... In your church, in the word, in the sacrament. But at first, he describes it as a vineyard. And he says, the vineyard of Yahweh, of armies, is the house of Israel, which he planted on a very fertile hill. He did everything for his vineyard. He not only cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines or humanity, his special people, but also among the people he builds watchtowers of his word given through the prophets, such as Isaiah. And he hews out wine vats of his priesthood that offer sacrifices and atone for sins. But when God looked for his vineyard to his yield of grapes, there were only wild grapes. And he calls them grapes of bloodshed and unrighteousness. So, you know, God wanted to plant Cabernet Sauvignon or Riesling grapes. And then he showed up after doing everything perfect. And it was some weird wild grape that wasn't going to taste good for his perfect wine that he wanted to make. What in the world? Where did these wild grapes come from? These weren't the heritage fine wine grapes that he'd planted, that he'd watered, that he'd watched over, over these years, and selectively bred, mind you. Instead, they were all given over to sin, neglected to flourish under God's watchful care. And so Lord Jesus zooms in on the unfaithfulness of those who were called to care for his vineyard in the parable. God the Father wanted to harvest his fruit to bring his kingdom to this earth, and so he first sent his servants, 
Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Amos, all the prophets, all the books of the Bible that uh, kids aren't really named after anymore, you know, like Ezra. To announce God's kingdom, that it was near, he used these prophets. He, he, wants them, he wants his people to repent and trust in God's word and his promises. That if you, oh, you love me, you obey my commandments, then you will be blessed. The old covenant. But the people, of course, were disobedient. They denied those prophets that the Lord sent. Sometimes they even killed them. Often they beat them. And uh, they drove away God's word and his life and his blessing from their nations. And they drove God away from their lives. And they, they did this out of the hardness of their hearts. They didn't want to change their sinful behaviors. They didn't want to change their resentments. Like those workers that we heard about in the parable uh, resented both the father who owned the vineyard and his son. They wanted the riches of the vineyard to be theirs, not to simply live in those benefits in that vineyard, that beautiful place that God had prepared for them. And so God sent more prophets. We've been talking a lot recently about John the Baptist at church. Uh, He was the last prophet before Christ, and they even rejected him too. So much so... um, You know, that they put him in jail and they cut his head off. And this was all because God's kingdom was at hand. It was about to break into this world through Christ. And he had a simple message. Repent, be baptized, trust in the forgiveness of sins. That simple. Um, But the people, of course, were obstinate in their hardness of heart. They, They told John, we don't have to change our ways. We're, we don't have to repent. We're sons of Abraham. We went over this um, two weeks ago on Sunday. And so they killed him too. Finally, God the Father, he sends his one and only son into the world, incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus gives the same message. Repent. Change your sinful behavior. Believe in me. I'm going to die. The kingdom of God is at here. This is how it's going to break in. I will give you everlasting life. I will resurrect you on the last day. But what do the people, the workers in the vineyard, do to the son? Even though the son says, you know, surely they'll respect me if I send my son. Surely they'll know I love them if I send my son. I love the world so much that I gave my one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But out of jealousy, out of resentment, out of hatred, they instead choose to kill the son. They kill Jesus. And they kill him for his inheritance. He suffers, he dies on the cross. But in killing him, they don't get the vineyard. They don't get the inheritance. They don't get the kingdom of God, the world that they wanted for themselves. Instead, through Christ's 
death on the cross, his resurrection, which validates his perfect sacrifice. Instead, Jesus gives that inheritance to all who believe and live in faith. The whole time, he just wanted to give it to you. No need to try and take it. No need to try and steal it. No need to try and set up a deal to work it off. He just wanted to give it to you. He is the true vine. He's planted by death into the ground. Jesus is. And in his resurrection, he brings forth those fruits in their due seasons. The Father extends his invitation to all those strangers who believe in his Son, and he redeems it all and gives it all to those who live in that faith, who trust in him above all things. Again, God will take away his kingdom. He will take away the inheritance from those who once had it, yet their faith dies who leave the word, who no longer respond to the voice of the good shepherd. God does not care if you were really active a long time ago or you ran this board or you did this really cool ministry in the 70s. He's looking for fruit now. God will give his kingdom to others who truly believe in Christ and live according to his commands. And he's not kidding. Among those good grapes of the true vine is the Apostle Paul. I wanted to sneak him in here at the end because his Philippians letter is so captivating. He was once a zealous persecutor of the church. He actually, you know, says it's a virtue what he was doing. He says, oh, that that virtue zeal. I mean, I was killing Christians. That's how much I loved God. He says he's the kind of person who would tell John the Baptist, what do you mean? Our father is Abraham. I'm going to get the kingdom. I'm going to go to heaven because of my family tree. Paul actually knew the tribe that he was from. Isn't that crazy? Most people didn't because of the diaspora. From the tribe of Benjamin, makes sense that his name was Saul. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Who better to inherit that vineyard? Well, he, he, he suffered the loss of that privilege in order to gain Christ and be found in him, to know him and the power of his resurrection. How? He realized that through persecuting Christians, he was actively rejecting the very cornerstone of the kingdom of God. He was persecuting Christ's body. He was persecuting Christ Jesus. And that stone did fall on him. It tripped him. It knocked him off his horse. And so he humbled himself. He repented and he believed in Jesus Christ. He didn't say, woe is me. He didn't say, Why is this happening to me? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm the most educated Pharisee in the land. I'm so rich. I'm from a good family. He said, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Jesus, I put my trust in you. 
And that's a beautiful thing. And so I bring the Advent series to a close with an earnest proposition. Are you ready to leave behind the old dead ways of doing things, the company of resentful hired hands who are only there for the work of it? Are you ready and willing to instead come with Jesus and all those Christians who have the living good fruit of repentance and belief in it? Belief in Jesus to enter his kingdom here in this world and in this church, this very church here on earth where he promises to be. Amen.